this is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind with me, psychologist Professor Richard Wiseman. And me, science journalist Marnie Chesterton. This is the podcast where we delve into the psychology of everyday life and answer your questions about human behaviour. Expect fascinating facts, scintillating science, and this might even improve your life. In this episode, we're going to be talking about persuasion, including how the powers of persuasion can be used for good, some of the psychological tricks that can be used to persuade people, and how to avoid being seduced by marketing. What? Even you, even you a professor who who definitely can't be persuaded to buy a load of rugs that he definitely didn't need. Exactly. On with the show. I'd like to start by taking you back in time to the 1970s, to a classic psychology experiment and also key to persuasion. Uh, Amos uh, Tversky and Daniel Kahneman, now very famous psychologists at the time, uh, unknown, and uh, they went into a high school. And you can be in Group A or Group B, which you want to be in. Group A, please. Yes, very good choice. So they said to everyone in Group A, here's an equation roughly off the top of your head without thinking about it too much, what is the answer to this equation? 8 times 7 times 6 times 5 times 4 times 3 times 2 times 1. Roughly, what do you reckon that comes to? Uh, 800. There we go. That's right. Actually, yeah, the whole group roughly came up with 500. They then went next door to group B. They said, here's the equation. 1 times 2 times 3 times 4 times 5 times 6 times 7 times 8. There, people said about 200. It's exactly the same equation. So one is starting 8 times 7 times 6, the other one starts 1 times 2 times 3. So what's the difference? What's going on? Well, it's to do with anchoring. So we'd like to think we're all very rational. We're rational beings. I'm very rational. I know, I know. But in reality, we're swayed by all sorts of little tricks, and mainly because we take shortcuts all the time, mental shortcuts. And the one here, and this is one of the very first experiments to demonstrate uh, a bias, as it's called now, this is showing that when you uh, your, your judgment actually depends on the very first part of that equation. You go, well, 8 times 7 times 6, that's going to be quite a lot. Or 1 times 2 times 3, that's going to be a small number. You don't listen to what comes after it. It's what's called anchoring. You anchor on the very first part of the equation. The actual answer is 40,000. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge answer. But so what they showed really simply, really elegantly, is anchoring matters. Now, you take the idea and then you go... Let's have a sale in a shop. It used to be £500, that seat, that chair. And now you've anchored on 500 and now it's just 200 So oh, it comes straight down. It's a bargain. Down. Absolutely. Or you meet somebody and they seem to be a very nice person. So you anchor on the fact that they seem to be a very nice person and you don't look at their behaviour after that. Or you're a doctor and somebody comes in they give you some symptoms, you anchor on the early symptoms and you decide what you think is wrong with them. You don't listen to what comes after it. So this rather odd experiment, all about numbers, actually tells us a huge amount about persuasion. We are persuaded by the first lot of information we receive. We've got a question about why are some people so good at persuading people to do their bidding? What's the question? (laughs) <laughs> Why are some people so good at persuading people to do their bidding? Well, I mean, part of it is social. And, and so we, we tend to be persuaded by people that are charismatic and likeable and all those sorts of things. And if you read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he talks about the key to persuasion is A, be likeable, 
and B, always think of the situation from the other person's point of view. So you're thinking, well, how do they see the world in order to then come out with something that's going to persuade them? I feel like this might be your superpower because, you know, you know all the tricks, you've read all the research, you're a very likeable, charming person. That's very kind. Thank you. Yes. Uh, but, we but... did the episode on lying. Uh... <laughs> no, it's just, it, it's like you're kind of almost like you can see inside people's heads and you know how to tinker with Yes, the truth is, I've no idea what's going on at all. I did read Carnegie, actually, as a uh, as a kid. It's fantastic. Uh, don't kick the beehive if you want to collect the honey. I mean, general lessons for life there. Yeah, yes, sure. Yes, yeah. No, that was, that's not from the book. It's from a beekeeping book yeah, that I had yeah. around the same time. Um, so, so yeah, so what I'm interested in is, is these kind of little tricks of the, uh, uh, the trade. So we'll try another one here. This was 10 years before. It's a 1960s experiment where they uh, wanted to persuade people to put a sign up in their garden to say, drive carefully. So you own a house in some suburb of America. I turn up as the experimenter and I've got a huge sign. This thing is three foot by three foot. It says, drive carefully. If I put it in your garden, you're not going to be able to see much out of your window. Can I put my sign in your garden? I mean, no, you can't. Thank Um, you. Right. So that's what they got. Everyone said, no, you can put your sign somewhere else. Uh, And uh, they got nobody taking up. So... Then they went to another set of houses with a little tiny sign, a little sign about six inches square, and said, can I put this sign in your garden? And everyone said... Yeah, sure. Of course you can. Yeah, no problem. Then they went back later on, and they said to people, thanks for putting the tiny sign in. Can we put our big three-foot sign in? Nearly 80% of people said, yes, you can. It's the the foot-in-the-door technique. Once you've got people to say a little bit of yes, then it's easier to get them to say a lot of yes. So, for example, if you're trying to raise money for charity, you just ask for a small donation and then you go back and you ask for a bigger donation because first time round they're going to say no straight away. So psychologists have spent all this time looking at these little tricks of the trade. And that explains why I get calls all the time going, first off, thank you for your monthly donation. Just wondering, can we bump it up a little bit? That's right. Most of that's me, to be honest. Actually, I'm really sorry about that. Oh, it's fine. I understand that you've, you've got an expensive lifestyle to, to maintain, right? <laughs> so when I was a kid, we used to go to department stores and, and that, was a, that was a big day out. Um, and at the time, I don't know if they're still there, they used to have these um, demonstrators... They would demonstrate things like knives, like like kitchen knives. And it was amazing to watch. So they would kind of go, this kitchen knife is amazing and it can cut through tin cans or whatever it is. And it's £20, this kitchen knife. And so you'd anchor on £20. And then they'd go, not only that, you get another kitchen knife and another one and a whole set of knives. And actually it's not £20, it's £10. And everyone was clamouring to give them the money. Well, if they'd have said originally it's 10 quid for these knives, no one would have touched them. So even as a kid, I got fascinated by I used to watch these things again and again and again because these people really knew what they were doing in terms of persuasion. The awful thing is I know what I'm doing when I'm being suckered into buying something. Say it's it's got the yellow sticker on it, so I know it's a bargain. And I need to... I need to keep reminding myself that I wouldn't buy it if it was full price. That's right. So I want a bargain more than I want the thing. That's right. That's, yes, exactly. And you also see people saying, well, actually, this thing's £100, but we can do three payments of £33. So again, it's the anchoring. Oh, it's £100. No, 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 you can get it for £30-something. Pounds. And are we all susceptible to this? I mean, how easy is it to persuade people to do things? Well, it depends what you're trying to persuade them to do, but for the most part, actually, we are. That's that's quite disappointing. Well, it's interesting because like... So the thing about biases is that 
if you didn't have them, you'd be checking out everything all of the time. So I always say, you know, imagine if you can see a chair, but you can only see three of the legs. We just assume it's got the fourth leg. We don't go over and check out every single chair to check it's got four legs. You'd be there all day chair checking. And, and so that assumption actually allows you to operate in the world. So a lot of the persuasion work is like that, is that they're shortcuts which normally give you the right answer. Normally anchoring is a pretty good thing to do, but it can be used against you if people know what they're doing. So we're recording this in December and it's that time of year when there are huge efforts to get people to buy things. For instance, buying something on Black Friday that you know that you don't even want. Why can't we resist? And and are there any tricks that salespeople use? Well, I mean, Black Friday is about anchoring again. This thing that was that is now this. And so it appears to be a huge drop, absolute bargain. But what about the time limit? Does that, so, does that panic people into so buying? So there's scarcity. Is, is a big one. Um, so I've only got 10 of these. If you don't buy it now, well, that's the opportunity gone. Or it's only available for 24 hours or whatever it is. We like scarcity. Limited edition. Limited edition, all of that. So, so these things all kind of add up. But on the other side of it, and we've been talking about sales, on the other side of it, you can actually use it for good, which is how I use all these persuasion uh, techniques. Is it? Yes. You're persuading me of that. Yeah. No, I mean... More on the bad, <laughs> I mean, not bad, capitalist, mm. do, do people get in touch with you? Do, do the shops get in touch with you and go, no, only... Richard, how can we persuade people to buy? No, I've never done that that sort of thing, actually. So I, I, I wouldn't do that. And I so haven't... you genuinely do use your powers for good? I, I, I'm, I'm like an angel. Often people will say to me, Richard, have you fallen from heaven? <laughs> it's the strangest thing. So go on, you're saying we can use this for good. We can use it for good. So uh, so we always said the, the, foot in the foot in the door, you can use it to get charity donations. You can also do the opposite, opposite thing, which is you start out with an outrageous request. You say, would you spend uh, a week uh, helping out um, some some local children with their homework or something? And you go, of course not, that's ridiculous. I've spent a whole week doing that, I've got other things to do. And you go, oh my goodness, well, can you spare an hour? And now you look like, like well, oh, it's only an hour. Well, you want a week, yeah. and then you're you seem a very reasonable person. And and so yes, I can spend an hour. Where had they asked for the hour straight away, you'd have said no. So these things, once you know they're out there, it's not that you can use them particularly to persuade others, but you can use them to stop yourself kind of getting manipulated, which is is quite a useful skill to have. Okay, because we've had a question about this, uh, the darker side of persuasion uh, from Margot, and she says, my builder convinced me that I had asked him to do something, and the details are boring and have to do with grouting, so I won't go into it. I'm actually quite interested in grouting. I'm actually quite interested in grouting too. Um, It's like she knew she wanted one colour, he said, no, 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 you wanted the other colour. So she knew deep down that she definitely hadn't asked him to do what he did, but she started to doubt herself. And how was he able to convince her to believe him, despite her better judgment? Well, the question is whether, because she did believe him, I don't or think whether she does, she's just right? going along. Yeah. I mean, the question, the fact that she's asking the question suggests that she didn't believe him. But I, I think there's that whole social pressure, isn't there? You're in front of somebody, you want to be seen as a very pleasant person, a helpful person. And so we often go along, particularly in groups, we go along with what the majority think, even though we may not actually think that ourselves. So in the classic um, Solomon Ash experiment, where you have, uh, you get a group of people 
And so the good old days of social psychology. They're all stooges. They're all working for you except one person. Can I just ask, when when you say the good old days, are you talking about experiments we probably wouldn't be able to do nowadays? Yeah, actually. Or <laughs> that they had bigger budgets? I think both. And okay. also they're quite imaginative. It was, it was early days, so they got um, a whole field in front of them. And you probably could do this one today, actually. Uh, you, you've got a group of people, they're all stooges, all working for you, except one, one poor person who doesn't realise. They think everyone's a genuine participant. You show the group three lines. They're obviously different lengths. I mean, they're, they're you know, short line, medium line, a long line. Then you show another line and you say, which line is the same length as the line I'm holding up? And it's obviously the middle line. I mean, these things are about six inch difference. Right. You start to go around the group and all the groups say, well, it matches the short line, matches the short line, matches the short line. And now we come to our real participant oh. and around about 60% go, it's the short line. Oh, so there, they're just trying to be a nice member of the group. They're trying to join in. They've been influenced by other people as part of it, but also they've been persuaded because everyone said one thing. We are social animals. We are persuaded by one another. Yeah, but think... are they seeing it differently? No, they know. No, they know. Yeah. Okay, so they know they asked for different colour grouting to what they got. That, that's right. That's just... why that feels like that happening, oh. except there's only two people involved. This is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind, and we're talking about persuasion. So you mentioned that um, persuasion is often used in negative terms, but mm. it can be used for good. Yes. So apart from charities, I mean, can you use it to persuade us to all be nicer people than we would be otherwise? Just before we get to that, that's a, that's a good point. One other little tip here. Sometimes it can be just one word. So some lovely research by Elizabeth Stoko, who's a conversational analyst. What's a conversational Not analyst? Um, she listens to, transcribes and analyses hundreds of conversations. And then she's looking for patterning in there. What convinces people to, to, to say yes or no to a request? Oh, like phrases that trigger people to Absolutely, to go mind. along with something yeah. or to, to stand up against the person and so on. And one of the, the key patterns uh, that, that work has um, produced is the word willing. Willing is very, very important. So would you be willing to try out a new service? Would you be willing to uh, try a trial subscription to a magazine? People find it very, very hard to say no when the word willing is in the sentence. Whereas if you'd said, would you pay for another subscription or, I don't know, would you... Well, would you even be prepared to subscribe to the magazine? OK, mm. but would you be willing to? It suggests something much sort of gentler. It's, it's a very, very persuasive uh, technique. So top tip, use that all the time. If you want to, or, or be on the lookout for it being used against you. Oh, OK, yes, yeah. Yes. Does that work with small children? I'm just wondering. You know when they get into the no phase? Well, would you be willing to look after my children for would the afternoon? You, would you be, yeah, I mean, that's the ideal world, but would you be willing to eat your vegetables? That's an interesting one. This was adults. I think the child might just go no. No. And then you kind of go, no, just being polite, yeah, eat just those eat vegetables. Eat it or no pudding. That's right, yes. Um, but it can be used in, in good ways. So uh, this is John Heritage's work, and he was looking at this very important moment at the end of GP consultations when often people don't mention certain symptoms, certain additional symptoms. And at the time, 
they were uh, GPs were being trained to say, is there anything else? And the problem with anything is it's quite a negative word. And, and, and so linguistically, it'd be like, uh, I haven't got any money. I haven't got anything. It's negative. OK. But they were all doing that. They were trained to say, um, is there anything else? So he's a linguist. And he looked at that and said, you know what? Let's just change that sentence to, is there something else? Something else. else. Oh, that's clever. Really, really simple. Let's look at the differences in percentages. When you say, is there anything else, 50% of patients go, actually, there is. Is there something else, 90%. Wow. And suddenly you've got early detection of all these problems and so on. So it's a really nice use of psychology and persuasion. It's one word, just one word. That's so And you get that 40% difference and you've made the world a better place. That is really good. So that, that for me, is a big positive. That's, that's This is what I mean about persuasion. It, persu- cuts, it cuts both ways. And it's persuading people to tell you what they otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't bother. Oh, I don't want to bother. That's right. That's right. Unlike my brush with some very persuasive salespeople, uh, I went to Turkey and I went to a rug factory. Yep. Expert on persuasion. Yeah. I thought these people will not persuade me to buy a rug. I am purely curious. I'm just going there to see the rug making process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many rugs do you now own from Turkey? Four. Um, and which was four more than I intended to yeah, buy. Yeah, that's when I walked more. in. I thought, I wonder what techniques they'll be using. I, of course, will be immune to these techniques. Mm. Um, and the one they used, which I didn't know about, and, and until I walked out with my four rugs, which is that they'll say, they said, look, you know, you're not going to buy any rugs. You're not going to buy. I wonder if you could just help me out. We don't know what sorts of rugs appeal to people. Well, can we just show you some rugs, and you can choose? Your favourite rugs. Just tell us what which are good rugs and bad rugs. And so we went through loads of rugs, and I went, oh yes, that one, that one, that one. And of course, I'm, pers- I'm I'm behaving as if I want those rugs. Yeah. And at the end of it, I thought, oh, they're quite nice those rugs. Right. And then they said, actually, you've chosen four of the most expensive rugs. <gasps> and I said, well, that's that's my ability. Well, to, I've to just, pick a, I'm, I'm a classy gentleman. It's, it's, call it intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, and I said, how much are they? They're extremely expensive rugs. And I said, I'm not interested in that. And they said, actually, because you've helped us out <laughs> no. with the rug market research, yeah. we can let you have these at a much lower price. You are a rug mug. I'm a rug mug. <laughs> I walked out with four mugs. Rugs. <laughs> rugs. I walked out with four rugs. And mug on your forehead. Absolutely, yes. Um, I think they may have had a telescope because they saw me coming from... <laughs> Absolutely miles away. But are they nice rugs? Two of them are. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's a 50% success rate. No, actually, to be honest, they are quite good rugs. Okay. But what I like about them is that they they remind me, <laughs> they remind me that, that I'm a gullible fool. <laughs> I went, I walked past an antique shop once. In the window, there was a, uh, a resin cast of a um, saber-toothed tiger's head, skull. And it was quite nice. I thought, I quite like that. I went in. The man said, funny you should say that, that's the only one that's ever come through this antique shop in 30 years of doing it. And it is expensive because it's a museum quality cast, but you know it's the only one, and amazing you spotted it, and they sold it to me for a couple of hundred pounds. I walk out, I'm very happy with my resin saber-toothed tiger skull. About a week later, I walk past, there's another one in the window. 
I go in and I say, you told me you only had one in 30 years. He said, the chances of that. He said, you walked out, another one came. I said, how many have you got? He said, about 20 out the back. <laughs> it's the same thing. It sits in my house to yeah. remind me that no matter how sophisticated... <laughs> Your house is you. a palace to your idiocy. It's in the rug room. Yeah. <laughs> it's all things that I've been persuaded to buy by the very techniques that I study. Oh, I, I, that's lovely. That's lovely. Yeah, so don't, no one should feel bad um, for falling for these things. So, Richard, we've just been talking about the positives of persuasion, but sometimes people can find themselves doing things that they never thought they would because they're in a crowd. Are there, what's going on there? Well, we're social animals. And so, of course, we're influenced by those around us. And sometimes we just want to join in with the crowd and conform. And other times we want the people around us to like us. And so that influences us as well. I mean, as a speaker, somebody speaks a lot in front of groups, I am astonished at the speed in which 200 or 2,000 people, whatever it is, become one person. And you're actually talking to one person and that one person, group of people, decide to laugh at a joke or find something interesting and they all do it together. And the reason is because when we're all together like that, everything's contagious. We, 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 in terms of how enthusiastic we are, the emotions we're feeling, whether we find something interesting, we all catch it from one another. So you seed your audiences with cacklers. Um, well, that would be handy, yes, yes. So, yeah, absolutely, but we're, in a group we are different to being individuals. And we can be persuaded by seeing other people doing things that gives us licence to behave in that way and, and so on. However, I did use persuasion uh, in a good way because I did some work with um, donations to charity. So we had these uh, charity donation tins. We managed to persuade a well-known shop to let us put these tins by the tills. And we varied what we wrote on the, the tin. And this, this was based on other researchers that had these sort of similar ideas. So we had uh, one tin that said, please give generously. Another one, every penny helps. Another one, every pound helps. And another one is, you can make the difference. Now, one of those did very, very well compared to the other three. I'm, can, I, can I put a bet on it being the last one? Uh, you can make the difference. Yeah. Terrible. Oh, no! Terrible. No! No, disaster. Oh. Every penny helps. Oh. Because it tells them it's all right to put in a small donation. Oh, I see. It's fine. Every penny helps. Every pound helps. People go, well, I wasn't going to give you... I was going to give you 50p. So now I feel bad. So almost nothing went in that. Please give generously and you can make a difference. didn't really matter at all. Uh, We also varied the colour of the uh, collecting tin. And red. Is it persuasive colour? Absolutely. Red. Uh, Because it got people's attention... And it's something that sort of says, this is a red light, we need to act on this now. So every penny helps on a red collecting tin, hugely, about 160% more than any of the other combinations. So it's all about these sort of subtle little acts of persuasion. And actually, now I think about it, often when there's a sale, there's red stickers on things. And so that's, that's a cue to you to say... Buy it now, do something. And give me your attention. And also extraordinary that something as simple as one word can make a difference. So something rather than anything or the word willing. Yeah, and all of these things, we, we, as I say, we get right the way back to that initial study with the eight times, seven times, six thing is we think, no, we're rational. We're not going to fall for these things. We're not going to buy rugs 
he says bitterly. <laughs> but the, the truth of the matter is we wouldn't be able to operate in the world unless we had these kind of biases and, and um, all other things that persuade us one way or the other in our heads. And marketeers know about them. And if you know about them, to some extent, you can be on your guard, except for the man with the antique shop and the saber-toothed tiger skull. Just don't go in shops. That's my... That's, well, because, yeah, now that's, that's what I do. I send in other people, people who are more robust than my good self. From Podimo and Telltale, this has been Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. Hosted by Professor Richard Wiseman and Marnie Chesterton. Our producer is Kate White. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. And for Telltale are Rami Sabar and Jago Lee. And if you like this podcast, tell your friends. Leave us a review. If you don't like it, tell your friends you did. Why should you be the only ones to suffer? Although it does help others find us. And don't forget to subscribe. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at WisemanPod. Where we'll be regularly asking you for questions for future episodes. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.